We're judging the world and seeing what sucks. We're reviews versus the world. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, brothers and sisters, John. <laughs> Welcome to Reviews versus the World, the podcast. <laughs> Oh, I feel I've been misrepresented in that uh, announcement. <laughs> Sorry, is John not your name? <sighs> Touche. <laughs> I think he called me the sister, though. Yeah, I know. There are no ladies here, so... Unfortunately. <laughs> wow, that sounded a lot sketchier than I thought it was going to. <laughs> so, uh, my name is Steven, and I will be moderating this month's edition of the Reviews vs. the World podcast. Um, we have our usual crew here. I am here. Brady is here. Aldo is here. John is here. And we have one addition for this month. Nate, welcome. Thank you. Hooray. Yay. Nate, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself? Um, we're hoping that you'll be a regular fixture at Reviews vs. the World. So give our gentle listeners out there in podcast land an idea of who you are and what your nerd specialties might be. All right. Well, uh, my name is Nathan Unk. It's like uncle without the L-E. And with a K. And with a K. And uh, it's not eunuch, I swear. There's no I in it. Um, also, <laughs> sorry. You now I know what the name is. You'd be surprised how often that comes up. <laughs> I, I would like to clarify that Nate does have a son, so. Dude. Beautiful four-year-old kid. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm the current film critic for the Ochre Times, which covers the Magna Times, West Valley News, and Kearns Post uh, in the um, bigger uh, Salt Lake City area here in Utah. And um, I obviously my, my biggest strength is uh, films and being a film critic, but I'm also really big into comic books, uh, TV, and music. So I mean, you know, and think everything in between. I'm pretty well rounded when it comes to everything. So I'm really excited to be here and. Well-rounded yeah. nerd. Yeah. We need one of you. <laughs> hey, I'm well-rounded, just not in the ways that you want. <laughs> so, one of the ways that we like to start the podcast is to take a minute and have everyone go around the table and talk about something that they've enjoyed over the last month. Um, we're going to start with Brady. Brady, tell us what you've been into over the last month since we last convened. All right, well, the biggest thing is, over the last month, I got a new Nintendo 3DS XL. Now, now, when you say new, are you, is it like a new one, or is it like a new, new, new one? I'm, I'm talking about the branded new 3DS XL, so it has the little extra nub so, stick So when you say newly branded, are you talking like a cow brand, or are you talking like a... He got the quote, <laughs> new 3DS, unquote. Nintendo sucks at naming consoles. <laughs> There's so much throwback to the Super Nintendo, I wish they would have just called it a Super 3DS XL. Seriously. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's been nice because, honestly, I haven't had a 3DS for a couple of years now. I traded it in back in the day when I got my Wii U, and so it feels nice to get a little bit of that portable gaming back, and I've enjoyed some games, um, specifically Majora's Mask, which we might be talking about later on during this podcast. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Spoiler. As well as Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon is oh, great so... Game. So good. Right. I I'm absolutely loving it. Awesome. Those are those are some solid games there. Aldo, what have you been up to? I have been in the less classier side of video games. Nintendo <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and classy in the same sentence. <laughs> no, I uh, just I, wait. This will make sense. <laughs> well, I've been playing Dead or Alive. Oh. <laughs> there it is. There they, it is. They released the update to it, the last round, which is supposed to be the last. 
expansion for it, not ultimate, because why would that be ever the ultimate final edition of anything? Um, <laughs> so they came out with that. It has four new characters, two new lollies. So we'll see. Um, but apart from that, I've been still sinking more time into Monster Hunter. Um, they've started releasing DLC for it, so they just released the Zelda DLC for it. So you can there's a quest to go get Link's armor and his uh, the hero's bow and the master sword, which is just a giant version of his sword. Awesome. So that'll be fun. So I'll have to get together with some buddies, and we're gonna have to go on quests later with all of us dressed up as Link. That's <laughs> <laughs> originality. <laughs> you know how your dreams each night combine things that happen to you during the day. I think now I'm gonna dream about dead or alive with everyone dressed as Link, and I'm gonna wake up so confused. <laughs> <laughs> we're halfway there with Bayonetta. We're halfway there. <laughs> well, um. <clears throat> Awkward. So, John, why don't you tell us what you've been into? Dr. McNinja. Oh! I, I like to let it kind of get ahead of me so that I don't, like, have to wait each week to get a new issue. And then I quickly caught up to where I'm current, and now I'm, I'm waiting on, you know, a new issue. <laughs> they, they're good about updating Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's very hilarious. Um, what is Dr. McNinja? It is a webcomic. Mm. Oh. I, am, I am a fan of webcomics, has been, has been the... Uh, Discussions in the past. As, as per his last review. As on per my last review, which is a webcomic. <laughs> uh, Dr. McNinja is a doctor who is also a ninja. His surname is McNinja because they're a clan of Irish ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> I like things that are, they are what they are. Dr. McNinja is exactly what it sounds like, and it's wonderful. That actually reminds me of an anime that's going to be coming out uh, in the summer, which is Triage X, which is about uh, a hospital that has a group of assassins. And anybody that they determine to be a cancer on the world, they kill them. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so Dr. Sasson. <laughs> um, it's made by the people that made High School of the Dead, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, in other Dr. McNinja news, there is a Kickstarter campaign for a game that is called Legendary Showdown. This is actually a game that is pitting two different webcomics against each other, Girl Genius versus Gunner Craig Court which are both fantastic webcomics, but it is also a sequel game. The original Legendary Showdown was based on Dr. McNinja. Awesome. Yes, wow. and so I if you're interested in that. getting this game, you can get it by funding the Kickstarter campaign for Legendary Showdown. There you go. For what that's cool. worth. I think cool. that uh, maybe in our first podcast, or uh, at some point when we were talking, you recommended Foils War as a Netflix show to watch. Yes. Just, just started watching it. I like it a lot. The, the subtlety of, of uh, Michael Kitchen's acting as foil very is good. fantastic, very, very captivating. Good. Very good. Mm -hmm. It took me about, like, uh, I don't know, ten minutes into the first episode to realize, oh, he was in old Bond movies, that's why I know who this guy is. Like, he was in old Bond movies? Yeah, but he was in the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Oh. <laughs> he made it blocked out. Yeah, but then, you know, Marvel Unlimited, I'm going through Hawkeye, She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, oh, Black Widow. Hawkeye. And all the X-Men titles, they're not all good, but, but most are. <laughs> Hawkeye's amazing. I love Hawkeye, Hawkeye, oh. I'm sad that they're going to, like, uh, the, the Fraction and Aha uh -huh run instead. Oh, yeah. so the uh, Legendary Showdown. I delay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been fully funded. It is. Uh, it was a pledge of 15000 It reached 111000 Oh, Wow. So I think I think they just might make it. Um, <laughs> but you can, still, you can still donate, still get on and help them keep yeah. meet some of their stretch goals. Probably on their own website, but not on uh, Kickstarter stuff. I can oh, see is it done? It, it was fully funded November wow. twenty. Oh wait, this is a different one. 
Hmm, this one was funded in 2013. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I can see some of the characters from the comic on there, including Sparkle Lord, who is a malevolent uh, unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he turns into, when he comes into our dimension, he turns into a motorcycle and like. Jedi mind tricks Dr. McNinja into thinking that he needs he's the good guy and it turns out he's not a good guy at all. He's a bad guy. And he's an evil unicorn. <laughs> you don't get an evil unicorn in other media. Well, no, and certainly not in Foil's War. No. <laughs> oh, it's called uh, Machines and Magic. Yes, and that's that's the Kickstarter version with Gunner Creek Court versus Girl. And it is currently at a one hundred and eleven thousand but nine days to go. Yes. As of this podcast. So pile money on that pile. Pile on the pile. You know what I mean? Give them money. <laughs> so, thanks for, for those suggestions, yeah. Don. Those, yeah, those are excellent, actually. I, I fully support both Dr. McNinja and Foyle's War, two mm -hmm. great forms of entertainment. Nate, what have you been into? Uh, I'm a little late uh, getting into this show, um, but when my little boy comes over, we love to watch Gravity Falls on oh, the yeah. And it's, it's awesome because it's kind of got a little bit of a Phineas and Ferb flavor mixed with the X-Files and a little bit of Lost. <laughs> and like, it's, it's really amazing. It's really funny. It's got a really crazy sense of humor. And there's, if you like Easter eggs or whatever, like, it's amazing. Like, during, at the end of the uh, title sequence, you know, in the main title sequence, you hear a whisper. And if you record it and play it backwards, it tells you some kind of cipher to use to figure out this, like, special saying at the end of the credits, they write out a code, you know, like, and, um, wow. like, there's this, there's this great episode where, uh, the boy Dipper, he uses a copy machine that makes, like, human, like, clones of himself, and, uh, one of the, but they, they get printed out on paper, and then they come to life, so he had a paper jam, and so one comes up, and he's like, Wah! you know, and, and they're like, what the heck, but, um, anyway, at the end of that episode, if you solve the little cryptogram or whatever, it says, <laughs> Paper Jam Dipper says, and they like spell it out like really well. <laughs> I thought it was going to get really philosophical. Oh, no. it's, it's great. It's Man is really born funny. To die. It's pretty. Yeah. Kristen Shaw's in it, so you're in. <laughs> but, um, oh, that, that reminds me. Have you guys watched Last Man on Earth? No. Watch it. Go on to Hulu, watch it right now. It is amazing. And, and you know, I'm just worried that. You, you take this premise, and people aren't going to think, ah, that's not going to last, so they're, they're not actually going to watch the show. Please, go watch it. It is so, Wait, I, so funny. Do I have to sign up for Hulu to watch it? Maybe. It is probably going to stay unwatched. <laughs> I if you to. watch it quickly, you can watch it on a regular Hulu site. But, like, Hulu Plus, you just need to find a friend who has it. I mean... Pay for it yourself. I mean, I mean, unless Hulu, you want to sponsor us a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, also, yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so, you know, my son and I, he's four. He absolutely loves Gravity Falls and we watch it all the time. Um, the thing that makes me angry about Disney, I, I think, is um, they're not very good at releasing their TV shows on DVD, like in full series, there's, like there's no in full seasons. It, so but like, it's it. it's hard to catch up with something that's in its second season unless you buy like, you know, like they have like one disc that has one through six, and then Disney says, well, we're not going to do a full season unless the other DVD sells well. But nobody wants to buy the other DVD because it only has six episodes on it. And so it's and, kind of a joke. I thought they also do the, like the theme DVDs as well, where they're like. These are the episodes where somebody dies. Right, they, yeah, yeah, they no, do. Yeah. You know, so that gets kind of frustrating. But um, but if you can get into it, uh, like I said, my uh, little boy who's four loves it to death, and we have a great time. So, anyway. Awesome. 
So, I'm Steven, and, uh... Hi, Steven. <laughs> the most significant nerd thing that I've been involved in over the last month was actually attending a live touring production of the Alton Brown Show. Oh, Alton wow. Brown is a celebrity chef. Um, you might know him from Cutthroat Kitchen. Um, I was a big fan of his back when he was doing Good Eats. He has a touring show called the Edible Inevitable Tour. And it's, it's kind of a different sort of nerdy thing. Alton Brown is himself quite a nerd. If you ever watched Good Eats, you know that a lot of his themed episodes were based on different pop culture moments. Like he had an entire episode that was dedicated to, I think, making chicken or something. But the plot, and yes, he had a food show that has a plot to it, was based on the Stephen King novel Misery. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to eat this chicken. <laughs> so anyway, I walked into the show, and we sit down in our seats, and we're watching, and there's this big screen, and it's... It's got these sock puppets that are walking around, and they're belching, and they're farting, and we're like, uh, this is kind of gross. And then Alton Brown comes out, who I might remind you is a 51-year-old white man, and he raps. <laughs> <laughs> and we are sitting in our seats, and we're like squishing down, thinking this is going to be awful. And then he gets into the storytelling. Alton Brown has some great stories about why you need to include salt in bread, because if you don't put the salt in the bread dough, the yeast doesn't stop rising, and it will consume the world. It's just, like, gross. <laughs> and, yeah, Alton Brown was a fantastic storyteller. Plus, like I said, he was a nerd. He incorporated a lot of music in his show, and a lot of the music came from, like, old TV shows and cartoons and stuff. Cool. And then he built a giant easy-bake oven on stage out of stage lights, and it shone so bright you couldn't look directly at it without damaging your eyes. If you turned it on outside, it would be visible from space. And he baked the pizza in three and a half minutes. <laughs> that is awesome. Honestly, it was kind of incredible. If Alton Brown comes to a town near you, check his show out. Um, because, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <sighs> Speaking of tangents, let's talk about video games. So, we are now going to talk about... Um, the, the, the subject of today's podcast is going to be on video games, and specifically video game storytelling. There is a particular class of video game that doesn't really deal much with, with storytelling, and if you like those sorts of games, that's fine. Personally, I spend most of my time playing uh, board games on my iPad, like Agricola or Ticket to Ride. Um, but I was a child, I grew up playing video games on the Nintendo and the N64 and the PlayStation 2, and so I've got opinions about some of these other video games as well. Um, but I'm planning on taking more or less a backseat as we discuss, among those of us you know, that are more versed in video games, what the merits of video game storytelling is. So what do you see as being the strengths of the video game as a medium for telling a story? Well, I mean, where else can you actually be an active participant in a story? That's, that's what I was going to say. You're, it's more immersive. Choose your own adventures? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want to go into a cave. Okay, you go home. <laughs> well, I, I mean, Every other choice just takes me to page one. <laughs> I mean, even, you know, t taking that a little bit, you, you can even take something like Chrono Trigger, an amazing game. You know, way back in the Super Nintendo era, we had this game that was phenomenal in its storytelling because what you did actually matters. I mean, there are parts where you can save a character and have him on your team, and if you don't, then he's just no longer in the story. He's just kind of gone. And there are a lot of moments in that game, and and I can't remember exactly how many endings this game has. Nineteen. Nineteen endings, based <laughs> on what you do throughout the game. And so, right there, that's that's one of the first games that really grabbed me with its story. 
Yeah, the problem with Chrono Trigger is that you had to play it a couple times to get uh, the different endings. Some of them just weren't accessible on your first playthrough. 19 times. <laughs> Fair enough. Unless you're Rain Man Aldo, who had it figured out. <laughs> I've never played Chrono Trigger, but I was having Star Fox flashbacks. And uh, I was like, I didn't know you could say a Falco for a while, and then you save him, and he takes you on a different path, and still won't shut up. <laughs> so, John, what were your thoughts? You said... Uh, yeah, well, just what we said, it's more immersive, and so, you know, you see this action scene, you get to be the guy with the sword, you're the one who's doing the fighting, you're the one, you know, doing that, you can take your time on these action scenes, you know, and that's not all that you can do in the storytelling, but it is fun to learn a hero's story, and you're the hero, you know, it's, it's you get to save the day, so, I like that. Well, the, the other advantage is, um, you're not limited to a two, three hour experience, you have experiences that last, you know, even a month or so. Um, I mean, for me, when I played uh, Mass Effect, I played the trilogy, because I, I bought the trilogy pack. So I played through that game just consecutively. And I played each game, and each game kind of doubled in length. So by the time I was done, I was it was like a 120-hour experience. That sounds so painful to me. When you have the ending to Mass Effect 3, it is painful. <laughs> you know, which I, I actually don't think that's as bad as a lot of people make it out. <laughs> That's, I don't know. It, it was definitely more about the journey than the end, because two of those games technically don't have an end. Um, <laughs> See, games like that are supposed to be several hours, and then people get upset when it's like, oh, I beat it in ten hours, you know. You can have the opposite effect when a game is supposed to be quick. You know, I, I, I was stuck in a lava part of Sonic the Hedgehog. And you're not supposed to be in a game that long, but after, you know, an hour of jumping off of the lava, onto the spikes, onto the lava, onto the spikes, <laughs> trying to catch that one ring so you can stay alive. <laughs> you don't want to be in a game like that for that many hours. It just makes you want to curse. No, uh, Mass Effect for me was one of those games where I just, I stayed into the lore. Like, every time there was something to read, I was like, well, grab my popcorn, I'm reading this. Um, <laughs> but it's it's one of those experiences that I would, as much as I love Star Wars, Star Wars doesn't give me an experience anywhere near close to that. Mm. That puts me so much into the shoes that envelop such a huge portion of my life for that month. Mm. It was, it's a completely different thing. Well, see, and, and that's one thing that I love that a lot of games are doing lately is that they have these deep, intricate stories that if you want to, you can delve into it. You can go and you can read through all the codex in Mass Effect. You can go ahead and you can scan everything in Metroid Prime. You can read all the little books in Skyrim. Oh, why would you do that? But, oh. but, but you don't have to. You know, and, and that's, that's one thing that I enjoy about stories in games like that, is that you have you have this opportunity where if you want the story is there the background is there but you're not forced to watch a 35 minute cutscene that you can't skip sorry metal, metal gear solid i'm just not a fan <laughs> but Brady's reading the books in Skyrim. I'm shouting at dragons. I'm <laughs> <laughs> reading for everyone. <laughs> Are you reading the Lusty Argonian? <laughs> I didn't know about it. I'm bad at Skyrim. I, didn't say. I got turned into a vampire on accident. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I advanced to whatever level I'm at now is because I was running around the entire planet trying to find someone who could cure me for being a vampire. Because I didn't realize how you could avoid, like, how you can 
take advantage of being a vampire, so the villagers were killing me every time I went. <laughs> I was just like, guys, I went into the wrong game. I was just fighting wolves. Because <laughs> I was like a low level, and, and then I was like, the sun hurts. Why does the sun hurt? You are now a vampire. I didn't want to be a vampire. <laughs> well, I, That's I, how I play video games. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so, so, something for everyone. <laughs> kind, of, kind of combining some of your points here, this is something that just occurred to me as we were talking. Um, John, you talked about one of maybe the drawbacks of a video game story is getting stuck in an area where you didn't want to get stuck in because you can't figure out a puzzle or you can't grab the ring. And you're too proud to hit the reset. <laughs> <laughs> I could just unplug it, but no. Then the game wins. <laughs> I'm the hero of this story. One thing that occurred to me, I remembered one of one of the most profound experiences that I had playing a video game that made me realize what a potent medium for storytelling video games could be was playing Batman Arkham Asylum. Oh my god, that's so good. Yes. Trying to figure out one of the riddles, or one of the puzzles. I was uh, walking around in Warden Sharp's office, which, if you've played this game, then you know it's this dimly lit room, there's a crackling fire, and there's very little soundtrack, just the slow echo of your footsteps as you walk. Um, so even though it, it's not really a horror game, it has a lot of the atmosphere that you find in a lot of horror games. And as I was playing, trying to find this puzzle, which as it turns out, wasn't even there. <laughs> like so I'm totally stuck in this one moment because I'm completely the wrong part of the island. My character is walking along, and he kicks a bucket. <laughs> and I scream and throw the controller down because I did not expect that. But the atmosphere that was in that room was so potent that I freaked myself out. And it was fantastic, honestly. It was, it was the, it's actually the reason that I value Arkham Asylum over Arkham City as yeah. a game. But yeah, right. um, it, the, the atmosphere is much more tightly controlled. I like the story of Asylum better than City, though I do like being able to glide forever. <laughs> yeah, that is fun. I, I, I really like the open, you know, the open aspect yeah. of City, and there was just, you know, just side quests, really, I absolutely loved, but I definitely agree with the atmosphere and the overall story of Asylum, I thought, were just better constructed. And something like that where, okay, we're going to tell a Batman story, we're going to tell, we're going to put in a lot of Batman into it, so there are characters from the comics, and there's, you know... Uh, a lot of different villains, and not the main story villains, but like, you know, adding to the, like, taking advantage of the video game um, medium. So, you know, the way we're going to have this villain in this story is you can do the, like, the Riddler. There, there's a whole, like, Riddler side quests and stuff like that. So you still get your Riddler love, but then... I really wish Riddler was the main enemy in the new Arkham Knight one that's coming out. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm kind of disappointed he's not. I always felt that way about Dark Knight Rises. I always wished that I thought that the Riddler would have made an awesome cerebral kind of villain. Yeah, not not you that know. I wanted the most Bane back right, to like right. like brainless henchman. Right. But I think would have been cool instead of the asset the League of Shadows to have the Riddler being the one that's behind all this. So at the end of the thing it just becomes the Riddler and and Bane. So yeah. we're going to skip Anyways. a half hour of John doing Bane voice. To, uh, <laughs> I, I, okay, look, it got away from me. <laughs> it's just too fun. And try it sometime, and you'll... I, I'm not going to do it. Do it. <laughs> so, so, Nate, um, yes. what are your thoughts as far as, like, what, what, what makes a... Why tell a story in a video game? What's the reason to... What's the strength of telling a story in a video game format? Well, you can simplify that by what's important or what's great about telling a story in general. 
Um, you know, as storytelling is basically what humans do. We tell people stories. What did you do today? Oh, I did this. There's a story. You know, I mean, like, it's, you know, uh, song lyrics are stories, you know. I mean, well, so, good song lyrics. Right, good song lyrics. <laughs> are you in trouble when you walked in? <laughs> uh, even Hitler had a girlfriend uh, She tells my story uh, Anyway uh, By the way, ladies, I am single uh, <laughs> oh, So sad no, so, yeah. so video games So, so video games though like, uh, When I think of video games with, with stories um, A couple comes to mind I love the Uncharted series oh. For the Playstation I love all of the Uncharted games, and you know, it's it is kind of just following the same story and everything. But um, at the same time, the story's told so well, and there's so much interaction and fun with it. And yeah, it does have its cutscenes from here to here. But you know, Brady was talking about you know sometimes you have a long cutscene or whatever. But um, I think those cutscenes are important to the story, and they kind of tell all of the parts in between the action, and they make what comes next in the action scene, um, you know, important and, you know, like, you really have to do what this does or this girl's going to die or whatever, you it know? Gives, it gives weight. Right, it gives yeah, weight. Yeah, good. That's, yeah. that's a very good point. See, I, I think about video games and the stories that really stick with me. Um, one of the ones that has really made an impact on me from when I was young was uh, the... Uh, Final Fantasy VI story, which oh I realized that Final Fantasy VI, the story itself is told primarily in cutscene, which kind of makes me think that it's a weak example, but what you're saying is exactly right. Um, when you are playing the Final Fantasy games, you have these cutscenes, it makes everything else that you're doing, which is just going out and killing a bunch of cactus monsters so you can get tons and tons and tons of AP points so you can <laughs> boost up your summons, um... <laughs> That was real Final Fantasy nerd speak. Anyway, it makes that feel more important because you know if you don't do this, then Kefka is going to turn the world into his own personal dancing stage. Right. Well, you know what? Because that's what Kefka would do. <laughs> but you know what else I love? Like, I love the early Zelda games. I mean, well, I love the new Zelda game. I love Zelda in general. But, like, what I always thought was kind of cool about Zelda is they'd be like, oh, you need this magic sword. But in order to get the magic sword, you had to go on, like, five other quests to gain something else or to collect something else in order to fuse it all together and get the magic enough to get the master sword or whatever. So, like... You know, video games, uh, especially older ones, do a lot of great, um, you know, they, they kind of make the experience longer, you know, and more worth worth the time. I mean, Zelda would be a really short game if you just went from... Yeah. Blah, 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 well, blah. I do have to say that one of the things about Zelda, especially old Zelda compared to new Zelda, is that previous Zelda was more about creating an experience, creating a player experience. Mm -hmm. Because the original Zeldas was a very minimal story. And, I mean, A Link to the Past, everybody touts it as one of the greatest games of all time. Love that one. I still think it has a weak story because it's it's not a complete narrative as comparison to the to the 3D games. Right. Because the, the focus shift. The, the focus shifted when they went to 3D. It went from being about the adventure and the style and, and you know, exploration, and it turned into a cinematic experience. Right. Which is why there's, like, a giant history behind every, almost like every temple or dungeon you go to, once you start going into Majora's Mask, and once you start going into, um, like, Twilight Princess, there's a story behind everything. Whereas in the Nintendo and Super Nintendo Zeldas, there's not that much. But it's because you crafted your own experience. It was about you going out and going to get these things, mm -hmm. and, and crafting these things, and, and what else, you know. So, obviously, 
we're very passionate about video games as a storytelling medium. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take a minute uh, during the rest of the podcast, take a minute, probably take about a half an hour <laughs> during the rest of the podcast to talk about some of the things that we think make a video game story more memorable and discussing what sorts of stories work best in this format. We're going to take a quick break in a minute, but before we do that, um, Brady has an announcement regarding the larger reviews versus the world universe. Right. So, you guys might have noticed, and this is specifically for this month, March 2015. So if you are listening to this at some point after March 2015, sorry, you kind of missed out, but you can listen to our April 2015 podcast for a follow-up on it. But we're doing March Madness, and we have actually partnered with a nerd store in West Valley City, Utah, and they are donating some awesome awesome Funko Pop figures, which, I mean, come on, everybody loves Funko Pop figures. Right, right, right. And we are doing a March Madness. Now, what we're doing with this, we have actually just finished the first week, and they were my reviews, but Monday through Thursday, we're going to have a different five-word review. Throughout the week, like, comment, share these posts, and then you get to vote at the end of the week, and you can like, comment, and share on those voting posts as well. And basically, any time that you like, comment, or share, you're going to get an entry into this drawing where you can win these Funko Pops. And so we're very excited about that and about our partnership with the Nerd Store. Um, But what this means for Reviews versus the World in general is that the winner of each week is going to be our review for the month of April. And so, for example, this week I had X-Men Days of Future Past, Doctor Who Season 8, The Way of Kings, and The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. So whichever one of those wins is going to be my topic for my next video review. And at the same time, whatever wins overall between the entire month is going to be our topic for next month's podcast. So that'll be really exciting. I and hope it's dead or alive. <laughs> oh. 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 There's some great things, but all of mine are Batman. So uh, I don't know if you are familiar with Batman, but he beats everything. Guys, I want you to all go out and vote for the Gilmore Girls, because that's on my bracket. Oh, yes. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> so um, we're going to wrap up this half hour, uh, take a quick break. We'll come back, get some drinks and some goodies, and we'll talk more about video games. So see you in probably like five seconds. We make it clap. That's the second time I've Wait, 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 wait. Although, did you just say that you've got the clap? I got the power. (laughs) And on that charming note, welcome back to Reviews vs. the World, the podcast, the video game. Woo! Actually, if there was a Reviews vs. the World, the podcast, the video game, we'd probably have set the bar really high based on our discussion. No, it would just be a, a press this button simulator where it's chapter one, you play as Brady, you're watching TV shows. And then chapter two is you simulate Aldo play, watching anime. <laughs> so, I, I picture it more like, have you guys ever ever heard of or seen Poker Night at the Inventory? Or yes. A, yeah. Ooh, yes. See, that, I, I'm, I'm picturing that that's kind of more what it would be like where you just have Poker Night at the Inventory. It takes 
characters from all sorts of different games. Like you have you have the strong bad. Oh, I have. You have the penny arcade guys. You have the from what from the Evil Dead. Yeah, Ash, Ash from the Evil Dead. You have that's a good character. To the anywhere, you have um, um, Sam from Sam and Max, and it's yeah. it's it's absolutely hilarious. And all that it is is poker with just commentary, and it is hilarious. But the cool thing, if you play the second one, the second one, Glados or Glados from uh, Portal, is the card dealer, and you have the little claptrap from uh, Borderlands. And he hits on Glados every time. <laughs> awesome. So let's let's bring the discussion back down to a manageable and slightly less insane level. <laughs> that was awesome, guys. Um, okay, so video games and stories. Um, obviously, we have a lot of video games that we've played that have kind of stuck with us over, over the years, as many of us are now in our... Uh, we should probably be too old for this years, and yet we still indulge. So, um, <laughs> what is it about a video game story in particular that makes it so memorable? Why do these stories stick with us? Because you did it. It was because because it was you in the driver's seat. Like it, it's it, we were talking about, you know, kind of being uh, you're the one that affects the story. You're the one, like John said, you're the guy that's swinging the giant sword around. You know, watching somebody on screen. And I think that's the that's the best thing about. These these stories and why they stick with us for so long because it wasn't it wasn't just Link pulling out the Master Sword it was you that had to go through these dungeons and pull the Master Sword out it wasn't it wasn't some guy in, in a book that that killed the Elder Dragon and saved the world from from that it was you that went through these forty something hours and you got all the you went through the magic school and you became a thief and then you accidentally became a vampire. And then you got the, and then you got the achievement unlocked. You just became a vampire. Yeah. It was not an achievement <laughs> It was six hours of my life. Spread <laughs> out over several weeks. So so and, and that's one of those things where it's such a unique experience where like I could go through, I've gone through Skyrim and I didn't become a vampire. Because and you did it right. <laughs> and John Hero remembers Skyrim for years because he's like, that's the game where I became a vampire by accident. Because I'm, I'm afraid of vampires in real life. <laughs> I became my fear. Um, I you remember that. <laughs> I think that's one of those reasons. Plus, I, I think, I mean, as, as much as I love like the Harry Potter uh, franchise, be it the books or the movies... At the end of the day, like just just the movies as an, as an example, that's what eight movies. That's sixteen hours of you bonding and getting to learn these characters and everything. That still kind of doesn't compare to like a hundred plus hours that I've spent bonding with the characters of uh, of Mass Effect. You know? Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that video games are the first really successful version of second person storytelling. Like, I'm sure there's a way, and there's probably some novelist out there that's written a brilliant novel that starts, you wake up in the morning, and you cook yourself some eggs, and you boil coffee, and pour yourself some cereal, and then you fall asleep while reading the paper, and then you wake up with a start and realize that you are late for work, and... You know, somebody probably wrote that story and made it really compelling. I, I, I'm pretty sure that you just ripped that completely from a Hemingway novel. <laughs> or a Choose Your Own Adventure book. <laughs> you were just, I feel like you were just a cockroach away from a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like in a video game, though, it really is. That's the sort of story. 
you wake up in the morning because a fairy is tapping you on the shoulder. And then you have to go and get your sword. And then you go inside a giant tree. And then you go and you meet a princess who throws an ocarina at your head while (laughs) riding away on her horse. And so, yeah, there is um, something to it being you. And it's a way of of telling a story in the second person that involves the, the participant in a way that... There, yeah, maybe that is part of what makes him so memorable. There, there is a very interesting video for the PBS uh, game channel. Because they have two channels. They have the idea channel and the game channel that just kind of does all philosophical stuff in video games. And one of the arguments that they explored was, are the experiences that happen to you in a video game, are those technically real experiences? As opposed to an experience of you driving your car down the freeway or going mountain climbing. How real is that compared to a video game experience? I don't know, what's, what's like, are you a rock star when you play Guitar Hero a lot? Or the answer to that question is no, okay. you are not. <laughs> but that still gives you the feeling that you're yeah. a rock star. Exactly, like, like when you play the Green Day game, yeah. you're doing the big sold out arenas and like all the bands there, you're just like, uh-huh. I'm Billy Joel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Billy Joel Armstrong. <laughs> wait, 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 did, did you just say Billy Joel Armstrong? That's Billy what I heard. Joe, but yeah, it's not like Joel. Because that, 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 that would be a combination that would be, yeah, that'd be an interesting matchup right there. But that, okay, that's kind of a weakness of video games, though, is that even though they are immersive, you've always got this thing that is in between you and the game and the, the experience. Avatar. It's not even just the avatar, it's the controller. Like, the reason that you are not a rock star when you play rock band or Guitar Hero is because you know that you're just some chump standing in your living room with a plastic thing that's going click, click, clickety click. Unless you're playing Rocksmith. Uh, yeah, Rocksmith's cool. Rocksmith. I have I have Rocksmith. Right. Anyways, <laughs> point granted. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, but you do have that. I guess, I guess that border of entry into into this fantasy is that as much like when you're playing Skyrim, you you can't actually reach out and steal a pot off somebody's shelf. You just press the A button, mm-hmm. you know, or you you press and hold it, and then it starts hovering in midair. Yeah. I will say that like, I you you can find yourself in the game though because I was playing Skyrim and. Before I discovered the fast travel option, I hated running from town to town to town, and that's that's me in the game and me in real life. Like, running is stupid. I'm just gonna kill everyone with my sword. It's twenty. Wait, is that real John or Skyrim John? Yes. <laughs> Both hate running, but one is a vampire. <laughs> so I meant the sword part. Yes. I'm gonna make one more quick comment about video game controllers. As a good example, this is something that I think ties into the discussion of what makes a video game memorable, and then I'm going to bow out of the conversation for a bit so you guys can talk some more. One video game story that has absolutely stuck with me was the PS2 game Ico, um, which I've I've often described it as a feminist's nightmare, Um, but if you're going to have one story where you've got a guy who rescues a helpless damsel from a tower where she just doesn't do anything on her own and has to be coaxed and everything, it's Ico. Take that one and then chuck the rest of the genre. Um, the thing that Ico does that's so compelling to me is it actually manages to get the player to care about the character because it develops a physical relationship with the character. Now, before you start thinking sketchy things, um, what happens is in order for you to escort the princess around the castle, you have to walk up to her and you grab her hand. You grab her hand by holding one of the shoulder buttons on your controller. As you walk around, you are holding the shoulder button, and that's sort of representative of you holding this girl's hand. So you can see the characters bonding, and you are facilitating that by having the physical action of holding the controller. So as much as the controller can be a barrier to good storytelling, 
I found in the case of Ico, it enabled good storytelling, yeah. because I bonded with those characters in a way that would not have happened if I just pressed X to hold hand and then walked. That's <laughs> plus, plus, there is the fact that that was the last time that you held a girl's hand. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I have no response to that. <laughs> right, just because you have a baby on the way doesn't mean you can tease all the rest of us. <laughs> so, Brady, we haven't heard from you much yet in this particular discussion. What makes a video game story memorable to you? Well, the one that sticks out to me, and it's both, you know, from when I was younger as well as this last month, because I've been playing it a lot, is Majora's Mask. And the wonderful thing about Majora's Mask is it takes a concept that is actually pretty familiar if you're into cinema, which is the Groundhog Day effect, where it's the same day over and over and over. But in this case, you're Bill Murray actually getting to learn what people do throughout the day and how you can help them. And, and that is what I absolutely love, because in this game in particular, and it's something that I really haven't seen in a video game since, you are able to just understand what is going on around you. You can delve into somebody's life. You see the random guy running to get the mail, you follow him, you find out more about him, you ask other people about him, and you find out his story. And it's it's absolutely outstanding how all of that ends up playing out. Last time I did that, the USPS gave me a restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly is a far cry from what you saw in the old video games where it was just, welcome to Corneria, every time you push the button and talks to the character. That's true. So, who in Hyrule is the Ned Ryerson? Is that who you're favorite? <laughs> that would be Tingle. Tingle yeah, is the Ned Tingle. Ryerson. <laughs> okay. Hey, listen! You need life insurance! <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played Majora's Mask, so... Oh, that's enough. And, and technically, Majora's Mask takes place in Termina and not Hyrule. So, yeah... Brady's not wearing glasses, but if he was, he would have pushed them up right now. Yeah. <laughs> He just grew suspenders and a pocket protector in that sentence. <laughs> so, Brady, would you say that the aspect of Majora's Mask that makes it memorable is the interactivity that you have with the NPCs Definitely. and the way that you're able to get into their backstories more than you would in a different sort of game? Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, the thing is, overall, The Ocarina of Time is my favorite Zelda game. However... The story of Majora's Mask, because it is so interwoven with these NPCs, is just so much better than... Well, it's, it's better than pretty much anything out there in my mind, because these are now real people. Right. You know, they have their scripted actions, but you learn those scripted actions, and that's actually kind of the point. Because you learn why it is that they're doing the things that they're doing, and that is absolutely amazing to me. See, if it was, if it was billed as, hey, this is Groundhog Day where you get to be Bill Murray, I would have played it back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Groundhog Day, the video game. Most then people are just like, oh, this temple is hard, just like the last time. <laughs> Glad I heard the door open. No. Well, now I'm going to have to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean you don't edit? <laughs> I, actually, I, I say that you don't edit just so that people can see the harsh world of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> what it really is. <laughs> the, the hallway makes sounds. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that besides like plot twists that I think that it, like the cinematic games kind of want to go for a lot and dying in the same part over and over and over again, you know, where you hear the same little bit of dialogue over and over and over again, and, you know, I think that uh, characters you can root for and characters you can hate 
really suck you into the game. Uh, yeah. uh, how you you get an emotional connection because you just want to kill that boss so bad, you know. That's what kept me playing Final Fantasy VI for forty hours. Got to kill Kefka. Got to kill Kefka. Got to kill Kefka. If I can't have my world stage, he can't have it. <laughs> Nate, what makes a video game story memorable for you? Um, I don't know. I've always loved. The Mario game. <laughs> Princess is kidnapped again? Okay. <laughs> Works for me. No, I. You know, what, what makes it memorable for me, I mean, it's it's like a good book or a, or a good film where you watch, you know, you watch or you play through as this character and you, and you feel emotionally attached and you feel like you're the one experiencing these emotions. You know, it's like, you know, going through a video game and, like, meeting a girl, you know, and you have this relationship, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, or whatever, but, like, I think what makes it memorable is, like, um, like, how much of it you can take and apply to your real life or the way you think, in a way. I don't know if that's weird, but... That kind of reminds me of Mass Effect, where, uh, you, I mean, you, you can romance any of your, like, any, any of the people. Um, right, which is really unethical in, a, in, a, in an actual military organization. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but one of the things that cracks me up, and I didn't realize this because I'm a completionist, so I, I'm, a, I'm like a half-hearted completionist. I, so I you're not to, a completionist. No, yeah. how, how, you how, need to complete being a completionist. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a completionist up until the point where I'm like, okay, this is more trouble than it's worth. Right? He's, a, he's a completion-ish. Ish. Um, yeah, so I was trying to romance. I was trying to romance all the female characters, but then like there's certain points in the story where they're like, "No, you have to make a decision." And I was like, "I can't do this. <laughs> Choose between you or the blue chick." Oh my god! Wait, so you do a video game? Women wanted commitment. Yeah. <laughs> how and feminists complain? How about that? <laughs> wow. I just set the podcast. <laughs> Subscribers, we have. <laughs> <laughs> ladies be crazy. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I do love the fact that the game actually made it more real by making you decide. Right. I went with the blue chick. Well, you, you know, there's there, there's a couple of, of great examples from first person shooters. Most of the time, first person shooters have awful stories. But there are two games in particular that really stick out in my mind where you do feel very emotionally connected. One of them is surprisingly Portal. Uh, right. Not, yeah. Not a surprise to anyone who's actually played Portal. But but when you when you just tell somebody you know randomly on the street what Portal is about, you know you have this gun where you can shoot it at one wall and they shoot it at other at the other wall and it creates a portal between the two, and then you try to tell them and the story is great. You know it, it doesn't sound like that really flows, but just Glados constantly in your ear while you're doing things. And reacting to the things that you're doing just, you know, it makes you have that emotional connection. And then the other one that's a big one is Bioshock. Oh, yeah, Bioshock. The original first-person shooter. Bioshock is better. Sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the thing about Bioshock, sorry, I'm going to give you a spoiler. Oh, yeah, spoiler for a 10-year-old video game. Go on. All right, spoiler for a 10-year-old video game. So, in Bioshock... Near the end of the game, you find out that this character who's been talking to you the entire time, that really they've been manipulating you and they've more or less, you know, hypnotized you into obeying them any time that they use the phrase, would you kindly? And then you start thinking back to the game and you think about how he's constantly giving you things to do and saying, would you kindly? And he ends up being the big bad of the game. Yeah. And it just, right then when you find out, I've been manipulated 
and then it makes you as the player feel just upset with this guy. Like, how dare you do that to me? You fictional character! And it's it's something that you can't really get that emotional connection but, out of oh, I, other media. But True. really, isn't every time that there's a prompt on the screen, aren't we really being manipulated? And that's what makes Bioshock <laughs> so, so uh, brilliant, though, yeah. is because... It, it totally calls into question. It's a deconstruction of the first-person shooter genre, which is crazy that we're talking about deconstruction within the context of a game. To me, that's right. fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And yeah, Bioshock is one of the video games that I will always hold up as an example of why video games yep. are potent as a storytelling medium. That because is uh, infinite as well. Which I've still not played. Ooh. I know. Oh, I know. Infinite is great. I know. I get that response every time I say this. Play it. <laughs> so but, you, but you know so, something. You know, just going back a little bit about Portal and Bioshock that really makes me connect to the story is you are constantly part of the story, and there aren't cutscenes necessarily. I mean, even when you have somebody who's talking to you, you can still move around. You can still do things. In Portal, you have somebody who's talking in your ear, and you can still just do whatever you want the entire time. And I think that that's, I think that's awesome, because it keeps you in that experience constantly. Right? She gets really degrading in Portal 2. You know, oh, yeah. Like that. Well, she is a potato. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're already kind of dancing on this subject anyway, so I want to branch off and talk about our, our last subject um, with regards to video games and storytelling. Do we feel, and I think I already know the answer to this question, but do we feel that there are stories that can only be told in the video game medium? I think Portal, because of... There was a short film, like a fan film made, where it's the girl getting out of the first little part of the game and using the Portal gun, and it's very cool. I don't know if it's sustainable as a movie. I love the game. I think the game works really well as a story because it's you're doing your thing, a person's in your ear. It's fun. It's great. I don't know how you can make a story out of now you're thinking with portals. Like, you know, the... the like. Well, part, part of the really fantastic thing about Portal 2 is even though it got more narrative, there was more narrative to it, it didn't necessarily become more cinematic. Uh -huh. So a lot of the story, especially a lot of the Kate Johnson yeah. stuff, oh, so was fun. slowly revealed to you via... Like messages and yeah. posters and just little notes and things like that. And, and if you wanted to really explore it, you could get into it. If not, you got like what the designers thought. Okay, this is the bare minimum of what we want you to know. Yeah. And there's all this more that you can know if you want to delve into it. Which is something that doesn't necessarily translate to a film. I think if you were to do a film, it, wouldn't, it would have a portal gun in it. Maybe you'd be trying to escape. But there would be less of the minutiae of how am I going to get over this wall... And, when, you know, my portals will disappear when I go through this field. And, and, I, think, and I think one of the things that, um, actually just you even talking about it right now, it's one of the things that you're not realizing, is that we lose that connection. Because yeah. you, you could talk about yeah. how you do this and how you go through the obstacle. It's the no, girl on the it, screen, It would stop being you. Is the thing right, right. You also have to think of the idea uh, with uh, video games being made into movies, or vice versa even. Like, how many successful movies are there based on a video game? I don't think there's well, very I was many. Gonna say, they can, might be higher grossing, but can, not. Can we adapt movies or video games into movies? Well, based on Super Mario Brothers. Street Fighter, <laughs> Street Fighter, Legend of Chun Li, oh, or, uh, Mortal, Kombat. Mortal Kombat. I like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it is not a good movie. No, well, that's, and, um, that's Annihilation is worse. Yeah, right. And uh, what else? Um, 
There have been others that I want to do. Resident Evil Dude. movies. Dude. Yeah. Lego Batman the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch that. But that's well, and it's yeah, interesting know, it's though too. Is like if you have like a big film that's coming out, like how often do you hear somebody like that makes a really great movie or video game based on a film? I'm still mad at the Jurassic Park uh, Game Boy game. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Couldn't get past that. like a certain level of just not beatable. But, <laughs> let, let's be fair though. Like, I, I'm not talking about the stories as the video games yeah, themselves. But like honestly, the idea of a story where a guy goes and gets a sword and rescues a princess from a giant pig monster, like that is a story that you could tell in a movie. Whether right. it would be a good story or not in the movie format. Is, is like that, that really depends on who you get to write it. If Christopher Nolan wrote a Zelda movie, uh, never mind. Let's pick. Let's pick a different director. Uh, well, all, 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 all that I have to say about that is your move, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> which, which that's fair. Here's the thing, though. Netflix isn't well. Obviously, they're not the first one. But one of the one of the two movies that are coming out that I'm actually really excited for because they are. Hollywood produced, but it looks like they're going the correct route this time, is the Ratchet and Clank movie, as well as the Sly Cooper movie. What? Because they're doing this, they're bringing in the writers from the games, and they're sticking with the CGI. I have not heard of either of these. That's mm -hmm. kind of the, fantastic. The trailer for Sly Cooper's fantastic. I'll show it to you later. Alright. Um, but it's just one of those things where they're adapting the story, they're not adapting the experience. You're cutting down that Sly Cooper story, which is like an eight-hour video game, down to two hours, two and a half, maybe three. Next year, Assassin's Creed comes out. Mm -hmm. It's expected in December. This is what I'm thinking of as the first time that we're going to get a good movie that's based on a video game, uh, apart from Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Fassbender is going to be in it. Oh, cool. Marion Cotillard is going to be in it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, that's all I can see so far. They are slumming. <laughs> no, I think that's fun. You know, and the you know the Assassin's Creed has you know a big story. I mean, how many games has there been now? Six, ish, six ish. They change the time period of each one a little. Yeah, bit. Well, still, yeah. still kind of work. What? Who's the convenient haystack? Right. <laughs> but you know what? The thing about that video game too is I don't care about the story in Assassin's Creed. I just want to go on the missions and kill the people. I, just want like, to I don't even know how much I pay attention to. Well, the story. It, it, exactly. I mean, that, that's a perfect example of I skip through cutscenes wherever possible, and Assassin's Creed has some awful, awful, awful cutscenes. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, you know, and that's where I think that we get a little bit off track in video game stories is when they take themselves a little bit too seriously or they take the game out of out of the game, you know? They, yeah, that's true. Where, where they, they focus more on the cinematic aspect as opposed yeah. to... Yeah, know. and I think this is one thing that Valve does really well. Mm -hmm. It's the reason that we talk so highly about games like Portal and Half-Life is because they are managed to build this story while still you are in control almost the entire time. You get to move your little uh, joystick buttons and get to look around, and the story develops from you looking at the scenery, from you going into the Ratman's lair and seeing the cake is a lie written on the wall 20 times. Um, that's how the story builds. It's built through play. Some video games don't do that, and that's fine. As, as uh, We actually made the case pretty well for cutscenes a little bit earlier. Um, but, yeah, I think... Video game stories are different from movie stories, and so that different experience allows for a different type of story that maybe doesn't work in a movie, because nobody mm -hmm. cares about the plot of Mortal Kombat. I'm sorry, 
people who actually do care about the plot of Mortal I Kombat. I care about the plot. <laughs> <laughs> but like the point of Mortal Kombat, you don't go to Mortal Kombat for the plot. You go to Mortal Kombat to rip a guy's spine out through his belly button. Right. Like, that's what you're playing. Fatality. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, remember the friendships? Yeah. <laughs> I like the friendships. Um, but, but anyways, there, there is like, and on that note, there is something that can't be replicated like in any other medium uh, that you that you can do in video games. Like, I don't know if you guys have played Brothers, A Tale of a, a Tale of No, two, two I haven't played it. So, oh. I, there's a little. Spo- I have to give you a little Whoa. spoiler um, in, okay. in this movie, though. I mean, this about game. Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> what? 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 No. So, so one of the things is about two sons that are going on a, on a journey to bring medicine back. For I, I can't remember if it's their dad or their mom. I think it's their dad, um, because their mom is dead, as they all are. Um, but <laughs> but but it's them going on this journey. And you, they have to work together. So the way it's set up is you control each brother with each half of the control. So the left brother's movement is the left joystick, and the other the younger brother is on is on the right. And so you have to work together. You have to make these brothers work together to get through these obstacles and, and things. So. So when the little one can't push a rock on his own, you have to bring the, the older one over to come over and help him push it. And one of the things that happens is on the way, on the way back, on the journey back, uh, the older brother dies. So it, it, it creates... I'm already torn up. So it creates like this weird shift in dynamic where you're no longer... You've lost half of your controller, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you feel alone, even though you've been playing this game, presumably alone by yourself. You feel more alone now because you've lost half of your abilities, half of your strength. And it's this really touching moment where you get back to, through this river where the younger brother can't swim. And so the way you had to clear it the first time is that the older brother goes and the younger brother has to go up to him and do a prompt where he holds onto his shoulders. So he swims. So the older brother swims and the other one just kind of tags along. And you can't do that anymore because the older brother is dead. Oh no! So you have to use the prompts that you learned from the older brother to give the younger brother kind of that strength and courage to be able to swim by himself. Oh my gosh. And it's something that you just cannot do in a movie. And it was something that when I did it, I teared up. I cried. I was crying as his little brother was swimming. And I was like, what is going on? What are these emotions? Why? I'm <laughs> crying right now just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> and it's, it's just something that you just cannot do. In, in a movie, the same way that you that you can't manipulate your audience into button prompts like as you do in Bioshock, is you can't do this. <laughs> oh my gosh, can you imagine a movie with quick time events? You're watching it in the theater. Alright, who didn't push it? <laughs> <laughs> now we gotta watch Luis get thrown out the window again. Freaking <laughs> Resident Evil. Oh, wait, 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 who... I think it was Futurama that joked about that. that <laughs> when they went to go see a movie, and it's like, if you want to go, if you want to see what's his name, go through file paperwork again. Press one. If you want to see him actually rescue his girlfriend, press two. <laughs> Poor Calculon, so much paperwork. Calculon, yes. And then Bender presses no, Fry presses two, and it's like, you pressed one. He's like, no. <laughs> um, I'm gonna read a few actors that are going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. You tell me. I'm going to start with the good and then get to the bad, and then we're going to see what happens. Brian Cox, Sean mm-hmm. Bean, Peter Dinklage, Michelle Monaghan. Mm, that sounds good. Uh, it sounds a lot like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Well, Adam Sandler, Kevin James, Jane Krakowski, Josh Gad, and uh, that's it. All the names I recognize. There are some more. What movie is this? Pixels. There was a short film made that's, a while yeah. ago I love where... 
classic video game um, characters attack a city, and then anything they touch turns into pixels too, like little pixelated, like there were blocks. So these pong pieces were going up and down the sides of buildings, <laughs> blasting balls back and forth and destroying a building. Pac-Man appeared in the subway chasing trains. Um, and so the, the premise of the movie, they took that idea, and they're making a movie based off of it. It comes out later this year. Mind you, this was July like July 24th. This what? was like a five-minute clip. Not even like that. Like, yeah. Probably not even that. Really quick. Um, video game experts are recruited by the military to fight 1980s era video game characters who have attacked New York. Oh my god. Directed by Chris Columbus. It's like, Whoa. Wait, didn't we see this in drama as well? I just have this mental image of Cloverfield, and the camera right. shoots up to show us the monster, and it's one of those giant lizard men from Rampage. Hold on. <laughs> there are posters I can show you. This is Pac-Man eating San Francisco in front of the, or behind the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh my gosh. Uh, there are heroes. They have little cool outfits. Uh, that's Donkey Kong throwing uh, barrels at what well, I think is Tokyo. Is that Mount Fuji in the background? Or is that supposed to be Seattle? The Space Invaders in Mount uh, St. Helens. I, I think know. that's Tokyo. I think it's um, Space Invaders over Paris. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is this Galaga over London? I don't know uh, if that's uh, Galaga. Centipede, it looks centipede. like. Okay. And then, yeah. Wow. I'm still going to see it. The short film is pretty cool. I think it says more about you than about the movie. Yes. Here's my problem is that it's a Happy Madison's production. I don't... It's a little bit of a... I'm 50-50 on that. Anyways. um, So, yeah. Video game... This is outside of the... Yeah. Indeed. I think we... So, anyway. I think one of the things that's the most exciting about video games as a storytelling medium is the fact that this is still something that is fairly new and being experimented with. You have a lot of surprising things, like what we talked about with Brothers, what we talked about with Bioshock and Majora's Mask, where things that we're used to doing, that we take almost take for granted in the concept of a game, and they're used to create emotional moments, losing control of your character in Bioshock, following that postman around until you find out that he's actually terrified of dying. Oh man, that's heartbreaking. Like there's some there's Who some is that terrifying of dying though. Uh, every first person shooter character ever because they just respawn. <laughs> anyway, so we're at the cusp of some really exciting stuff. I'm a big advocate for people using their purchasing power to support the arts. And I think we can say that video games are if they're not an art, they are aspiring to be, and I think that is something that is worth spending a couple dollars on. Well, right, one of, definitely. One of the things, and that's kind of in my research, is they are official. I guess not officially, um, because I guess it really isn't an art authority out there. But the Museum of Modern Art has deemed them to be worthy of preservation and to to display them true. in the museum. Uh -huh. uh, I think Congress has has officially immortalized some video, has stored some video games as well, the same way they've done with movies. But at the same time, that's one of those big comparison things that. It's because, as, as much as I love to say that, you know, video games are art, and I do, I mean, I do say it, I'm an advocate for it, it's, it's still kind of a one in a million of every game that comes out, because you can't have a hundred games that are just like Journey, because then it loses its, right. its artistic premise. Oh, Flower, too, I love Flower. Yeah, or, or Flower, which are yeah. these experiences, they're just these different artistic experiences, but they kind of lose something when, when you start mass producing, you know, a whole bunch of these games. But to be fair... You know, for every uh, 12 Years a Slave, there are a couple dozen movies like White Chicks. Yeah. <laughs> or 22 Jump Street. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean it's one of those things where, like... Which has the same plot as 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. Not so, even kidding. So, 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 I mean, you know, for, for, every, for every flower, for every icon... 
for every brothers, you know, you do have the Call of Duties and you have the Halos and you have the Grand Theft Autos. And if that's all you want to play, if you all you yeah. want to do is play a game to just play a game and you don't care about the story, that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. That's what they were invented for. There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. But if for these games that are aspiring to do something more to create emotional mm-hmm. experience, um, we have all at least, you know, those of us here that are assembled at this table, we've had experiences with video yeah. games. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, go ahead and play your games. But remember that there are some games out there that are worth yeah. supporting because of how they make you feel. And remember that that is a force that can be used for both good and ill. Ooh. Ill? Phil. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's one of those things I love about Bioshock is I feel it was one of the first kind of mainstream audience... Uh, accessible game that was also an artistic game because it took a a genre that's already being purchased in the millions and almost the billions like call of duty and you know modern warfare and all these things and it took that genre and then deconstructed it to to an audience that probably wasn't even ready for it and then they they, they experienced it they they went through this whole thing and they're like did i just play art <laughs> did i just play art <laughs> was i manipulated into playing art <laughs> Darn you. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where I feel at the same time as, as the medium also progresses and matures, we're also bringing these things out to the mainstream and to, to the public um, that isn't necessarily aware of the fact that this is a, an, a growing artistic medium. True enough. Well, we are coming to the end of our third volume of Reviews versus the World versus the Podcast versus the Video Game. <laughs> Narrative. Narrative. <laughs> so, fellow podcasters, friends, comrades in arms, John, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today. Let's take some time now and talk about some upcoming releases. All right. So th- this month, as far as video game releases, speaking we, of yeah, speaking of games, we actually have a few pretty good releases coming up. So, if we're going for deep story, I don't think that we're ever going to find. A deeper story than Mario Party 10. (laughs) Just once, I want to see one of these Mario Party characters do what a real person do playing a board game. Or do what a real person playing a board game would do. Just grab the board, flip it over, and walk away. (laughs) Just the flip board option. You have to throw the Wii. (laughs) But, I mean, this is the first Mario Party in quite a long time. It's Mm -hmm. It's the first one on the Wii U. And it actually looks like it will be a lot of fun, so definitely check that one out. And you have 1v4 where you can play as Bowser. Yeah, sweet. so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then we also have my personal most anticipated game this month is Codename Steam on the 3DS. Which it's basically steampunk-ish age. The Earth is being attacked by aliens and you're part of a secret force led by Abraham Lincoln. Yes! <laughs> Played by Will Wheaton <laughs> to, to save the world. And it's it's coming out on the 3DS. There's a demo available now. It's a lot of fun. Um, the combat is it's very kind of XCOM-ish, if you've ever played XCOM, where you it is turn-based and your attacks pick up your steam that you have. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I've always felt like I'm the one person that's just not sold on this game. <laughs> Try to say no, demo the demo. The demo's a lot of fun. And I can see a good idea. You had me at aliens attacking with Abraham Lincoln leading the forces. <laughs> like this must be uh, pre Ford's theater time, I guess. And then <laughs> Oh my gosh, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry. Too soon. It's always too soon for Abraham Lincoln or anybody else that's cherished. <laughs> and and then, arguably, the, the biggest release this month is Bloodborne, which it's by the studios who did the Dark Souls and Demon Souls games on the PlayStation 3. And this one is a PS4 exclusive. It's beautiful, and it will kick your booty because that's what all the other games have done. But it looks it looks amazing. Looks like a lot of fun. So yeah, definitely check that one out. Sweet. So um, in the world of comic books, we've got one really noteworthy thing that's coming out this month. I thought it was two, except one of them had already come out. Well, I don't know what you've got to talk about. Okay, go. Generation Y, the second volume of Miss Marvel, oh. comes out this month. I love Miss Marvel. It's amazing. If you're into single issues, uh, issue one of Princess Leia from the Marvel Star Wars stuff is coming out. I think uh, next week and the week previous has uh, had a re- had the release of uh, Spider Gwen. So you can go Spider Gwen's awesome. Yeah, so you can go down to your local comic book store see if they still have any issues, or wait about six months and get the trade. <laughs> or digitally. Or di- oh yeah, or digitally. I forget that. <clears throat> yeah, that's a thing now. Yeah. I have a couple of things. Noel Stevenson, who wrote Nimona, which we have reviewed, is writing in the upcoming Marvel event, Secret Wars. She's writing the Runaways. Runaways is my favorite comic team. I didn't know this was happening. It's not the same lineup of Runaways that. Has been in the past. Runaways is uh, currently on hiatus, I guess, eternal hiatus. Um, Molly Hayes will be on the team. Cloak and Dagger. A teenage uh, Bucky will be part of the team. It's going to be, I I think, I I can't say for sure who the rest of them are. I don't have it in front of me. But um, Noel Stevenson is wonderful, as we've talked about with Nimona, and I'm very excited about this. And um, hope that it turns into something, not just you know a, a piece of a big event, and that's it. Except the only problem with this, it's it's part of the Secret Wars event. Yeah, yeah. that's not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, I just watched the unbeatable Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. So good! Oh my gosh! So good! I watched uh, just the first two episodes, and they kind of get a little bit of the um, backstory out of the way with some newscast. That then quickly gets auto-tuned, <laughs> and I was like, "I hope this is the theme song." Re- and it was. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy with that. And if you're like me, you're getting ready for the Avengers: Age mm-hmm. of Ultron to come out. And I just thought I would throw in this uh, public service announcement here. I'm planning on having a mighty Marvel movie marathon. Uh, so the day is AMC. The movie. <laughs> oh, good for them. I just calculated quickly the um, amount of time it would take you to do this. If you watched all of the Phase 2 movies, just Iron Man 3, Thor, The Dark World, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and Guardians of the Galaxy, it's 8 hours and 19 minutes. If you watch the Avengers, the first Avengers film, with those, it's 10 hours and 42 minutes. If you want to watch all the other movies, you're on your own because you're a weirdo and you're going to be in a stinky room for a long time. (laughs) 26 and a half hours. Although it was a stinky weirdo, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I think AMC and Megaplex have announced that they're doing the 11 movie marathon. I saw that. Mm-hmm. And it's 26, 20, can, it's 27. You, you go in Wednesday night, and it's it's all night, all day. Oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, what if you get stuck next to that one guy that breathes heavy and squeaks when he's, uh-huh. when he, like, breathes? Yeah. What? I, I when, when I went to go see uh, Thor The Dark World, the guy next to me was had a super heavily overweight... And he squeaked every time he breathed, and I had to put up with that for two hours. 
That's almost as bad as watching Thor The Dark World. How, How many times can I apologize for that, Aldo? <laughs> <laughs> not enough. <laughs> Brady, are there any other announcements we need to be aware of this month? Uh, no, that's just about it. All right. To all of you gentle listeners out there in podcast land who put up with this nonsense for the last couple of hours, we thank you. We thank you for your patronage, for your enthusiasm, for your love. We love you, too. We hope that you have a wonderful month of March, and we will see you in April with the podcast on the subject to be determined by your votes on the Facebook page. Ooh. So if you have not already done so, find us on Facebook and give us a like. It means the world to us. Follow us on YouTube. Check out our website, which is a thing that exists at reviewsversusthewebsite.com. We hope to see you, or at least touch your eardrums <laughs> next right. month. Man, I was doing <laughs> so well. <laughs> 